Hey, Soraya, how you doing? All right, how you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. It's too bad that we can't do any traveling because I would love to go to Australia right now. <laughs> you know, Australia sounds like a pretty awesome place to be right now, especially when it's what, like a, a 225 degrees in the yeah. San Fernando Valley. I don't know how it is yeah. in Tanila. But it should be a little cooler down under, right? I would hope so. I don't know. Well, if we can't travel, maybe we've got the next best thing. What's that? Uh, talking to Dave Faulkner from the Hoodoo Gurus. All right. Yes. How about that? That is awesome. I have some uh, some very fond memories of Hoodoo Gurus and uh, in different points of my life. So I'm very excited to get to talk to him. And Hoodoo Gurus have a new single out. So yeah, uh, it's called Hung Out to Dry, but it's not the only single they've released. They released one last year, late last year, um, called Answered Prayers. So could this be the beginning of maybe talk about a new album, new tour? I don't know. Let's we need to find to out. I, I think we need to get started. I'm excited. Let's go. Let's do it. Down under we go. <laughs> Hi, this is Soraya. And this is Jeff. Our podcast is called Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme. A podcast where the two of us play music that we like and share anecdotes and background about the tune. We hope you'll join our conversation. And without further ado, agroviar. Let's get groovy. 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 Hello. Hello, Mr. Dave Faulkner. This is Jeff and Soraya from Paisley Stage, Raspberry and Rhyme. How are you doing today? Hi, Jeff. Hi, Soraya. Good Hi. morning. Hey, good morning to you. <laughs> we were wondering how Friday night's going to be because we're not quite there yet. And since you got a jump start on us. <laughs> I can tell you it's uh, very quiet in Bondi Beach because I stayed home and went to sleep quite early. <laughs> well... <laughs> So it's going to be a quiet Friday night. All right. <laughs> I can show you what I can show you what Saturday morning looks like. This is this is pretty good. All right. Oh, look at that! Wow. Look at that! Look what we have to look forward to. It's a lovely, um, you know, well, winter day, but it's a sunny day, and I just I've been out for my morning walk and feeling pretty good. Well, we have lots of questions for you. Sure, sure. Are you right with you? I just sit back down and plug in. Beautiful. Done. Great. Let's go. Well, we wanted to start out asking about this new uh, song, this new video, Hung Out to Drive, <laughs> which uh, yes. people over here in the U.S., let me tell you, very cheeky, very good video, but the song is fantastic. And Thank you very much. We wanted to know, first of all, uh, for uh, our listeners, the release was July the 24th, so it's brand spanking new. And we wanted to ask, what was the inspiration for this song? Well, I'm a bit of a science fan. So um, I, as soon as I heard about the SARS-CoV-2 virus, uh, at the end, well, pretty much I heard about it in early January and um, I was very alarmed because I'd, I'd already been aware of SARS, the original SARS and MERS and how close we came to having a serious pandemic then. So. I was quite alert to the risk. And then of course, unfortunately, my worst fears were realized. And then Australia, we, we, we almost fumbled the ball a little bit early on in, in March. We looked like we might not, you know, the, 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 the prime minister, that's, that, that's our, our top leader. He, uh, he was gonna make the lockdown rules be that 500 people could still gather, which was just crazy because 500 is way too many. So that, but that changed within a matter of days. So they got it down and, and uh, we flattened the curve and all those things. And, you know, we're still fighting it. And there's, there's been an outbreak recently in Melbourne that's very, very alarming. But um, by and large, they did a very good job in, in keeping a lid on this pandemic. And then to watch what was happening in the US and how it was turned into a political football and all these different mixed messages about masks being a restraint of liberty and how that's, you know, you're, if you believe in following a certain line of politics, you would be against masks. To me, this was just insane. And, and I, I got to blame the leaders for that. And so, you know, I was very angry at the Trump administration and, and for all the needless pain and death that it caused just to try to be a political opportunist. 
Yeah, absolutely. We're we're right there with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, man, it's horrible. You're living there. I've got friends as well. You know, I've got friends in Los Angeles and New York and Louisiana, and all of them. You, they're at risk. You know, for for no. I mean, obviously, everyone's at risk. I'm at risk, but you know, you've got to try and you know manage this as best you can, and that's what a politician's for. I mean, you know, that's that's what we why why we have them to 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 manage these sorts of crises and do what's necessary, but. Instead, it's been the exact opposite. You've had an actual person who's destroying everything. And, and, and uh, anyway, so yes, I was angry at this, angry at this administration. I, I wrote the song about that. But at the same time, I'm not the sort of writer that wants to, I mean, I, I just did it then, standing up on a, on a hobby hall, you know, high, my soapbox and sort of preaching about my politics or what I think about someone else's. But as a songwriter, I don't really like to do that. So I prefer to sort of put it on a more personal level as in I just dislike this person. And it's an I hate you song. <laughs> so it's much more direct rather than me sort of, you know, calling out policies and being kind of, you know, quite rational in a way. I was, I was the opposite of that. I'm, I'm passionate and angry and, and, and it's a personal beef I have with this man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate the song. The song itself, apart from the message, the video, we really, really like the song. We're longtime Huda Gurus fans, so this is very exciting for us. <laughs> Thank you. Now it's time to go. Yeah, you gotta leave now. Your dog and pony show is full of fleas now. No one wants to know. We wanted to know about the band members that played on this particular song. So we know that you released Answered Prayers in December of 2019. Mm -hmm. And this is the second single that you've released in the last six, seven, eight months. Can you tell us about the lineup? Because I know a couple of the guys you included and Brad are from the, <laughs> played on the debut. Can you tell us about the lineup that played on? Yeah, well, so what... Well, I'll just give you a quick potted history of the band's, you know, whole history. So when we first formed, which was 1981, which is crazy because next year is our 40th anniversary. Wow. Um, so that, that lineup only lasted for about, about 18 months and we only played for about 10 months. Uh, our first performance was actually September 81 and we probably stopped playing together, you know, because two guys left. That was Kimball and Rod. They were the ones that founded the band with me. And so it's James Baker, the drummer on that, and that lineup and myself continued on. And we, we dropped, we were called Le Hoodoo Gurus then. So we dropped the Le. We had released one independent single, the song Leilani, but that was all. And then so then Brad Shepard and Clyde Bramley joined. And Brad Shepard is still in the band today. Um, that was 1982. Uh, Clyde Bramley played bass. We didn't have a bass guitar before that. So that was a little musical change as well. Um, that, that lineup recorded the first album. And then we changed drummers to Mark Kingsmill and Mark joined in 84 and he recorded on Marcy's guitars forward up to virtually, you know, very, that's right. There we go. Uh, to very recently, um, you know, Mark retired. Uh, actually, he, he was sort of shaping to retire for a long time, probably for about 10 years, but we didn't quite know it, but it became obvious the last, you know, five years, definitely. And uh, he actually retired three years ago, but then, uh, so we had Nick Reith join us for a little while, about, uh, you know, 10 months, 12 months. And then Mark came back because he did some renovations on his house and it cost him more money than he expected. So he thought, <laughs> and also he, he kind of missed playing again, you know, having all those years in the band and sort of resenting it when he left because he was saying, you know, I'm sick of this. I don't want to do this anymore. But he, when he went away, he was like, well, gee, I miss it now. So he came back for a while for about 10 months again. And, uh, and then he once again went, no, no, I've really got to quit. That's it. I'm done with music. So he retired, he doesn't play drums anymore. And so we got Nick Reith back in again. And, and the second time was a charm really, because the first time we weren't certain that um, Nick was, was gonna work out. It was, you know, such a shock to us changing drummers, you know, after all those years with Mark. And he is an extraordinary drummer, Mark. And, uh, you know, quite unique. So, you know, we found it quite difficult, but we were ready for it actually, by the time that Nick rejoined. And then also Nick had kind of, you know, done some things to kind of um, make it more uh, like I liked it. Um, 
and you know for whatever reason it just seems to have really gelled and um i'm really excited now what we're doing so you know for, i think answered prayers and hung out to dry give a good indication that there is some you know real vitality there that that's uh, uh you know it's not just you know us trying to live up to past glories we're just doing our own thing now that's you know creating a new legacy um i did mention shouldn't i should have mentioned that actually we changed bass players in 1988 so rick grossman uh, so Clyde Bramley played on the first three albums and then uh, Rick Rossman replaced him. And so Rick's been there ever since. So it's Brad, Clyde, Brad and Rick and I since 1988, the three of us uh, with a change of drummers in the last 18 months. But, uh, you know, prior to that, you know, Brad joined in 82. So it's, you know, it's, we haven't had that much, you know, real, uh, you know, churn, we, you would say in members, you know, it's been pretty consistent apart from the very first lineup that kind of, you know, kind of exploded out quite quickly, you know, into, two members leaving right and i did want to mention for our listeners that rick was a member of the divinals which had yes ma made a, a little bit of a stir in the u.s too so yeah rick rick uh, was in the divinals for a uh, very early part of their career and you know and played on um pleasure and pain and and so he was you know he's quite a significant part of his career as finals spent a lot of time visiting Chrissy when she was unwell in New York. Um, so, you know, they, they, we have a long, long time uh, association with them. And Rick's, you know, we got, of course, we, we have lots of musical friends <laughs> all over the world, really. But Rick's, yeah, Rick's history is quite, uh, you know, lengthy. We all have our own backgrounds, you know, I, as well. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll get, we so, wanted to get into a little bit of that in a little yeah. bit later. Okay. Sure. But I, I think, you know, we can't let the opportunity pass by. So you've given us two singles. Dare we ask, is there an album coming? Because we also know that um, some tour dates have been rescheduled for 2021 here in the US. So tell us. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes we, we really are aiming at an album. We've got songs, we've got songs uh, that we've been rehearsing um, prior to the lockdown, actually. Uh, so what happened was we, we started rehearsing in February. Um, just as the, the you know the pandemic started really kicking in, I guess around the world, um, and we had straight away pretty much two songs popped out that we just thought, well, gee, they sound like singles to us. Now we, as you know, we'd done the answered prayers thing in December, but this was like you know, let's go on to the next thing and start working towards an album, and and all these songs started coming quite quickly. It was really great, and um, unfortunately, we had to kind of pull the pin as soon as you know we got we're kind of getting started, and we had recording dates booked in May, but we had to cancel those because of the lockdown and, and, you know, just dealing with that crisis. But as we flattened the curve, as I say, in Australia, um, a while about, you know, eight weeks ago, we started to think, well, perhaps we can, um, you know, think about getting together again. Cause we hadn't seen each other for two months oh, wow. uh, apart from via zoom. So, um, we, uh, decided we could trust each other. We knew we'd all been very safe and, uh, and uh, we found a rehearsal studio that, that allowed us to just hire one room and keep it for our gear exclusively and not have other people use it. And that made us feel more safe as well. And then we you know, went to the studio and we did some recording. And uh, so the original idea was two singles and with a B-side, but Hung Out to Dry came out so well in rehearsal, we pretty much, before even recording, we decided, well, this is probably going to be, let's just release it as a standalone track because it's a rock song and, you know, we're not playing live and we are a rock band. So it's nice to have something that kind of shows that side of the band's character as well. And, and the song, you know, for a lot of reasons was kind of, you know, I, I thought it was fresh sounding and, and, and timely. So, you know, musically timely, lyrically timely as well. So it just seemed like the natural thing to do. Um, but that means we've got two more singles ready to go. And uh, in fact, we're, shooting a video in two weeks time for the sec for the next single. Wow. Um, we're, we're hearing the mixes or I uh, like, I've just got a, a mix today from the, from Ed Stacey who's been mixing our stuff. So, um, you know, we're just deciding on which is the, these, you know, is that the final mix or do we want any more slight changes? And then we'll be getting it mastered next week, sending it off to get pressed. So it'll be a vinyl single this time. So that's why we've got to have so much advanced warning because it takes a couple of months uh, to get it pressed in Europe because there's no pressing plants in Australia anymore. 
so, so that's what's happening. And, and Hung Out to Dry will still be on that single. So it'll be like a double A side in our mind, you know, maybe. Uh, so that, that's, that's going to be happening. And then there's a, the, the following single is going to probably come out early next year. Oh. So we're thinking October for this one and then say January or even maybe as late as March. We're not sure. We'll just figure it out. But that's, uh, we've already got a B-side plan for that one. That is in fact a, a track we had recorded and mixed and never used. And uh, actually it's, it's, um, it's a really cool song and it's kind of funny how it fits with this song that we've, we've just recorded, even though it was recorded a long time ago. It was actually from the Max Shower sessions. And it was completely finished mixed, you know, just the last minute decided, let's not put that one on the album, let's choose this one. And so that's what happened. And, and the song um, stylistically didn't really fit with Max Shower anyway. So it kind of works for what this other song is going to be. So, so that's, that's what's happening there. And then of course we we're going to think we're, we're as I said, we've got a little bit of a scare again with the with um, COVID-19. So we're going to um, maybe just let things settle a bit longer and then maybe in October, We'll, get, we'll just have a look and see whether we want to start re-rehearse, rehearsing again and getting ready to record. Um, there's talk of playing some shows in January in Australia. We hope that happens, you know, outdoor shows. But again, you know, it's so hard to tell at this point. But if that happened, then the idea would be to rehearse new songs, play these shows, and then go into the studio straight after that and record the new material. So that we'd be like match fit from playing lots of shows as well as you know, have these new songs kind of settled in. Ah, excellent. This sounds very exciting, Soraya. Do you hear this? That makes sense. <laughs> cool. Yeah, well, the next, the next, the next song, by the way, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, back to our pop side. So I'll just say that. Excellent. I'd say power pop is a, is a very good uh, uh, summation of what it is. So it's, 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 and, it's not, and it's probably different to any power, anything we've done before, even though it's, you know, we've always had that kind of melodic and, you know, up-tempo the upbeat thing, but um, it's, you know, it's even more in some ways, you know, more like that than, than we've ever done. Dave, I wanted to jump back a little bit. You mentioned Ed Stasium. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's our third um, you know, experience with Ed because he, he of course mixed kinky and then uh, he produced crank. So, um, and oh no, it's actually our fourth experience because um, he also um, mixed uh, purity of essence, the last album we did. So yes. So um, Ed's, we've had a long association with Ed. And uh, yeah, he was, he, he saved Purity of Essence actually, because we did a mix first in Australia and we weren't happy and we just thought, you know, let's just ask Ed and straight away the song started sounding as we imagined they should. And, uh, and it was just perfect. So that's why we're keen to keep that going. Excellent, excellent. So I did want to talk a little bit about the possibility of touring. I know that things are up in the air. I was planning on seeing you guys on October 28th of this year in a place called the Belly Up in Solana Beach near San Diego. Um, well, that's been, re that's been rescheduled, as you know. Yeah, September 12th is my understanding of 2021. It's a Monday, no, 13th, the 13th, okay. Monday, the third. Yeah, it's a Monday. Okay. They, 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 it was originally a mix-up. Okay. They had it wrong on their site, but actually it's Monday the 13th. Okay. And that's next year, the t 2021, so. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I know. It seems like so far away, but, it, you know, it's already a few months since we started doing this, and it's, you know, it's getting closer and closer. So um, we, we just hope that everything will be completely normal by then oh, i'm looking forward to seeing you guys then so before we move away from hung out to dry we wanted to go back to the video if you don't mind talking about the video for this sure sure the first thing that jumped out for me is dylan's subterranean homesick blues with the flip flipping of the cards yeah so i imagine that dylan had an impact on your life oh completely of course you know on all of us you know even people that don't know they've been impacted by dylan have been you know he changed music really absolutely um but specifically in that video it was a bit cheeky you know we it's because it's been copied a lot you know i think there was even an mtv promotion years ago that had the uh, copied that clip so it's a bit of a old chestnut and you know maybe a bit boring to be doing that but for us it was really a matter of expediency i i given I'd written this song and it was kind of written as a, I hate you song aimed at someone. I'm talking to you, Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, I'm talking to you. So I didn't want people to be confused that maybe I was talking about an ex lover or you know, someone down the street. Uh, even though I think there's some quite specific references in the lyrics, I just wanted to make it quite clear. So that was my idea was to, well, let's do the, let's do a lyric video first, you know, which is that thing where you just have this, you know, the, the words flashing over the screen while this music plays on YouTube because I wanted people to really see what the lyrics were. But then I thought, well, that's kind of not that cheap to do. 
And maybe we could just as easily do something like that Dylan video, which is cheap to do uh, with his cards in which, and, and also at the same time, I was able to, in some points, explain the lyrics a little bit on the cards. Like for example, when I say you're a disease, now I have the words COVID-19 up there, just spell it out exactly what I'm referring to. Um, and so there's so, so, so I got the chance to play with the context, you know, the, the, the text a little bit and also to, to refer back to Dylan, I put a couple of cards that were literally recreations of the cards Dylan held up, including fail and dig yourself. Those were the two big ones, I think. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's just things like that to, you know, for us, you know, we, we, we're fans of music history and sort of pay tribute to Dylan and to bring it forward into another use. I think it was kind of nice. And then of course, you know, the song has, you know, play out a, a bit of a, a rave up. And uh, I thought, well, we I can't just stand there holding up car. I was just doing nothing. So I had the idea of um, Putin turning up because I saw these Halloween masks. When I looked up the, the Trump Halloween mask, there was a Putin one right next to it. Oh, Funny that way. Interesting. <laughs> so, on the same website. On the, <laughs> so I thought, well, you know, let's have Putin turn up. And of course, in a golf cart, because that's very poetic, you know, often at, uh, you know, he's always off playing golf every weekend and I'm having the Secret Service pay through the nose. Um, so I thought, you know, that'll be a fun way to, to finish off the video. Then, then the Thelma Louise ending kind of <laughs> struck me. And uh, it just all kind of was very organic, really. And, and we're lucky that golf course is just in my neighborhood. That's Bondi Beach, oh. uh, North Bondi, of course. It's a nine-hole public golf course. It's very small, but it's such an insane location and, and crazy. It's a bit of a historic sort of site. So um, that was kind of nice to be able to, you know, tie that into it as well. Right. I have to say, um, for me personally, when I first saw the cliff, the first thing I thought of was the, the movie Harold and Maude. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Movie. I love Harold and Maude. That's my yes. all-time favorite movie. So that at first, that's where I thought you were going with it. But then when I saw the, the two guys in the golf cart, I'm like, oh, no, this is a Thelma Louise moment. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you're ahead of us. Okay. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, I, I forgot about the kiss until right before the shoot. So it was only on the day we turned up and went, you know, I hadn't really discussed it. And I said, we got a kiss. <laughs> um, and um, which, of course, was the, probably the most powerful moment in the clip. <laughs> but um, the, um, the funny thing was that, you know, the, these are Halloween masks. So they had little slits for, the, for, your open, for you to speak through. You know, just so you can, your voice could be heard through this rubber or whatever it is. So um, for some reason, Putin, which was Nick, our drummer, he decided he was going to stick his tongue out oh. when he was going for the kid. And I also, behind my mask, for some reason, I puck it up because no one could see my lips. Why? I could have just like gone like that, you know, you know, without any sort of, but you know, you're, you're acting, you're just doing, you're in the moment, you just think, you know, well, I'll just, I'm going to kiss. So so, I, so that was a wet kiss, actually, when we did that shot. <laughs> and I was a little bit taken aback because I wasn't expecting it. Soraya, we got a, we got a little inside scoop here. <laughs> That's right. And I got a little inside <laughs> scoop myself. So Dave and Nick are even closer than ever before. Oh, boy. That's right. <laughs> we didn't do it the next take. We, we had to do a reverse shot. And, of course, it didn't happen the second time. But the first time, Nick went a little bit too method acting in his style. <laughs> first time was magic. The second time, yeah, it's already done. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Maybe I wasn't a good kisser. He didn't bother next time. <laughs> epic, epic, epic. Um, okay. We have a lot of other questions, but... Um, sure, sure. But, uh, yeah, I just want to reiterate... Answered prayers. I was your answered prayer. I feel the yearning need. Now you depend on me. So you can go to hell. And hung out to dry. Our listeners need to listen to these. Is this is wonderful stuff from Kudu Gurus. And, you know, I've got an odd question. And, you know, now I'm thinking about, okay, new songs, there's a new album, touring, you know, the, this kind of hopeful beginning of next year where there can be some shows. We're, I'm curious, what is the crowd reaction? I know the crowd reaction in Australia, but What's the crowd reaction here in the U.S. at your shows? I know, like, Jeff and I love oh. gurus, but I want to know from your perspective, what's that crowd reaction here? Well, it's been a while, so, but, you know, we, it's, we've always had the same kind of thing right through our career where it's almost like it's a hoodoo gurus audience rather than a particular nationality we're playing to. Um, 
there are some regional differences in, in audiences. I, like, for example, Brazil, they like the more melodic songs to sing along with. So a song like Good Times from our third album is one they love. Um, and Come Anytime is another song that's really huge in Brazil uh, from the fourth album. Um, but by and large, you know, the songs that work in one area work on the other. And, you know, it's just a rock crowd and we're a rock band. It's not, you know, and it's funny, like when we, when we were really, you know, the beginning of our career, and we actually did a lot of touring in the US early on. And uh, we got a, quite a lot of success, actually. You know, we were, we were, we were headlining quite large theatres and stuff. But, um, uh, you know, a lot of people at the time didn't even realise we were Australian. It, it was, um, you know, some people thought we were from the West Coast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, I mean, I, I'm not sure whether my accent is not that identifiable in the singing or, or whether that, you know, just, they just presume because they heard us on their local radio station, it must, must be an American band. But it certainly wasn't um, something that was like uh, a big part of our marketing or, you know, like the band from Australia, come and see them. It wasn't ever that. It's just like that band, Hoodoo Gurus, you know, and naturally enough, that's how everyone should be. But so um, we never sort of felt like, you know, we were different, you know, in a different world. Like it was always just our show with our, our audience. Um, the only place I'd say really, you know, struck me as being unusual reaction was Germany. Um, because they sort of, a little, they, they were a little bit more intellectual approach, you know, the way they approach rock and roll. They seem to just stand back and almost be stroking their chin, you know, like Sigmund <laughs> Freud. It's very interesting. We must see what they are doing, you know, as a, as a, and, and, and also a little bit in the UK as well, early on, we felt that, um, the audiences were a little bit inhibited, uh, especially as you got closer to London and whether that's because they were so concerned about is this the cool thing to be at and they kept on looking at each other and making sure it was cool to 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 uh get into it you know it was sort of strange you know outside the the uh, further away from london you got the more uninhibited the audiences were like the up north but as you got closer to london people seemed to be getting a little bit more depressed and a little bit more uh yeah it was strange i that was something i noticed early on but that's that's about it you know generally speaking it's just a rock show and a rock audience and you know, people that know our music know that they're going to have a pretty good time when they come and see us. So they, they're generally primed for that, which is always great from our point of view. Yeah, that's awesome. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Well, Dave, our primary focus on our podcast were bands that came out of L.A. known as the Paisley Underground, which was primarily mm -hmm. a band, the Three O'Clock, the Rain Parade, Dream Syndicate, and the Bangles. Yes. So yes. I wanted to tell you, so my very first concert that I went to by myself, I've gone to several since then, but the very first concert I went to by myself took place on May 18th in 1986 at a place called Montezuma Hall in San Diego State University. And it was Hoodoo Gurus and the Bengals. That's the very first concert yeah. I went to by myself. Wow. And I went there hoping to get right up front. Um, I got there before any of the bands started, but it, it, I don't, it was a, it's a large hall it was packed. So I was standing at the back. I tried to get as close as I could to you guys on the stage, but man, you guys were both, it was a great, great show. I remember it very well. Thank you. That was the second tour. We, that was the second tour we did with the Bengals because we toured with them first in 85 as well. Uh, so we wanted to know how did that happen? How did this? Yeah. Well, what, what, what happened was um, they were on the same booking agency as us in run out of New York which was FBI. Um, so that's, um, what's his name? Copeland, um, not Miles' brother. I'm sorry, I should, I should remember his name. It's terrible that I don't. Um, but it, anyway, he, because Miles had IRS records and his brother had FBI um, agency. Oh, okay. So we were on the same agency and, because um, we'd already toured on the previous album, Stone Age Romeo's, but this was when Mars and his guitars was coming out. We we're coming to do our, our next US tour. And, the idea was, well, the Bangles are big in college radio and so are the Hoodoo Gurus. We'll put them on as a, as a double bill. And in fact, it was a co-headline. We were going to headline one night. They were going to headline the next night. Well, that was all well and fine and good until shortly before the tour began, the Bangles released a song called Manic Monday. <laughs> and it was soaring up the charts before the tour began. And uh, it was kind of like before the tour started, like, okay, I guess we will be opening the show now because the Bangles have got this huge hit and they, you know, and they might have an audience that doesn't know us at all. You know, whereas, but the funny thing was certainly early in the tour, um, we were playing venues that in fact, both bands were equally strong in. So, so there was almost like a, a slight favoritism towards us because even though we we're opening, 
we weren't the band that had sold out and had a hit record, you know, which was silly because I love the Bangles and I think Manic Monday is fantastic. But you know how people were a little bit snobby about, you know, commercial radio and stuff. So early on, so it was funny that, you know, we were very much, it wasn't like we were just a junior band that, you know, got the, you know, short shrift. I mean, and, and certainly the two bands got on like a house on the fire. We loved each other and, you know, we were watching each other play and became very close friends. Um, but as the tour progressed, the venue started getting bigger. Manic Monday went to number one. We ended up playing small arenas, you know, and things like that. And the last show was a Greek theater in Los Angeles. Wow. I mean, what a famous place to be playing, you know, Neil Diamond and all those things. So, um, you know, it was an extraordinary tour and we had a ball. So, and, so the, and we actually had so much fun that the idea was the next year, well, let's, you know, let's do it again. You know, the, the Bengals asked us to come and play some shows with them. So we did a few weeks with them again in 86, which is where you saw us. But, uh, you know, we actually had an, a plan for them to support us in Australia because even though they had hits in Australia, we had hits as well. So we were bigger in Australia. We thought, well, the Bengals could come out to play with us. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. I guess they got tied up with all the work they were doing elsewhere. But we did a song together. Well, I'd, I'd written a song which I thought would be good for both bands to sing together as an encore, um, you know, uh, all, all together on stage in the finale. And it was a song called Good Times. So the next album, um, Blow Your Cool, we still kept that idea in our minds. So we asked the Bangles to sing on it and they did all the backing vocals in that song. You told me goodbye, I believed you. Felt like I would die, I didn't need to know. But you came back to me. And everything's like it used to be all the good times we had. And that began a recording connection between uh, the Bangles and us, or well, particularly Vicky Peterson, actually. So he's on about four hours, I think. Uh, I'm not certain exactly the number, but she sang on A Thousand Miles Away. That's her singing the, the opening um, harmony about now you're flying. Now you're flying. I'm told I'm going places. Who can say? Vicky singing there. Um, she also sang on our album Max Shower. She sang on uh, When You Get to California. You know when you get to California, darling Clementine, it's a state of mind. You know when you get to California, freedom's in the air and it's waiting there. The life that I had back I'm sure there's something else as well that I'm forgetting right now. And she's singing on our next single. Oh. <laughs> so uh, I told you it's power pop. Well, of course, let's get in the bank. Let's get Vicky on there. That's the first thing I thought of because uh, there's some vocals that to me just sounded like, wow, Vicky be perfect for that. Wow. And so, you know, we got Vicky on that. And uh, an exclusive uh, reveal, not only Vicky, her husband, John Cowsill, is also singing on it. Wow. So we've got a a cowsill and a bangle, and he's also a beach boy because he's been their drummer for 20 years. That's right, that's right. So we're pretty uh, chuffed about that. And it's, um, yeah, so uh, that's kind of showing you the angle we're coming from the next song a little bit, just to give you a hint there. Excellent, Soraya, yeah. I had no <laughs> clue of this. This is exclusive for us. This that is exclusive, yeah. totally. It, yeah, yeah. And, it, and we know in addition to the songs that you mentioned that she did a couple songs with you on Crank. She did You Open My Eyes. <laughs> And hypocrite blues. Oh, right, there we go. Yeah, I knew there was something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, and you know, Vicky uh, is a very good friend. I mean, obviously, we still love the Bangles. I mean, Bangles played in Australia a while back and, and they invited Brad and I to get up and, and uh, in Sydney to, to jam with them on a song. We ended up playing. Um, pushing too hard, the seeds song. 
which is, you know, I think they use that as a traditional kind of get up people up song because it's pretty simple and everyone can play it. And uh, that was fun, you know. So, this, I mean, yeah, I love the Bangles, um, you know, right through. I mean, yeah, I can't fault them personally. Amazing. Can you imagine, Jeff, that version of Pushing Too Hard, the Bangles, and Hoodoo Guru? <laughs> That's one of your favorite. You've played that song several times on the show, Soraya. So, now, now I'm going to go down a deep dive on YouTube. Someone hasn't posted. Now, you actually, by the way, because of that, you know, Bangles doing that with us, we've done it a couple of times since then with other people. We had little Stephen do it with us at the, at the zoo in Melbourne. Wow. He was on tour with, with, uh, with Bruce Springsteen in, at the time in Australia. So I'm not sure if that's on YouTube, but you'll certainly will probably see on YouTube us playing in Madrid last year where we had uh, Keith Strength from the Flesh Tones and Dom Mariani from the Stems. What? <laughs> up, up. <laughs> so, yeah, because they were both, uh, Keith was, uh, he came down to visit while we were touring because he was, he was actually in France at the time. So he, he and we we're old friends. So he just came down and actually got up with us for several shows and played the, you know, the encore. And we played some of his songs and he joined us on some of ours. But um, Don Mariani was also in Madrid because there was a festival on that they were playing at a couple of days later. So he just came to the club and we all just <laughs> got up and did that. Wow. Wow. Before moving away from the connections from the Paisley Underground, we know that Steve Wynn and Mark Walton from yeah. the Dream Syndicate sang on In the Middle of the Land from Blow Your Cool. How did that connection come about? Uh, well, we, we were on this, the, as the label we were on at that time, was, which is now our label, because we sued them and ended up buying them off the, the, uh, the bankrupted label off the liquidators later because the, the money was all pulled out. When, you know, we won the case, but you know, they took all the assets away. But we ended up buying our freedom and getting our, all our you know, um, copyrights back and all that. But um, yeah, they were on the same label in Australia called, called Big Time Records. And so that was... Uh, that was how we, we all met up. And, and in fact, you know, at the same time, we also had um, uh, Violent Femmes on the same label as well. So I think that was, they, they had the Slash catalog um, was one of the reasons at the time. So um, that was just, I think that they were touring Australia at the time and just made sense, you know, like we, we, you know, we, we all like each other and let's, you know, well, we're doing some recording, come on down, you know, sing on this song, it's what you do. Um, and of course, we've had a um, re reconnected with Steve in recent years. We did a thing in a, in Australia called Dig It Up um, some years ago, uh, probably about ten years ago, um, where we basically had our own little mini festival. We headlined and we played uh, the first. We did it two years in a row. The first year we played the whole of Stone Age Romeos, and the second year we played the whole of Marsy's Guitars as a set. But we had on the band on the bill all these other bands that we loved. So we had you know one year was. A Blue Oyster Cult, the, the Buzzcocks and the Flame and Groovies. And the first year we had the Sonics and the Dream Syndicate and the Flesh Tones and uh, Red Cross. It was, it was, so it was a really uh, amazing thing. So it was a festival and like several stages and venues. And it was like, yeah, it was an all day thing. It was wonderful. Wow. Um, so having Steve and Linda uh, uh, out of that was wonderful. Um, it wasn't the Dream Syndicate, it was just Steve, Steve Solo, but um, it was fantastic. That's awesome. We love the connections. Uh, amazing because you also mentioned um, for Dig It Up uh, Red Cross, but we also know that there's been a connection too between the Gurus and the Muffs. Yes, indeed. Well, we toured with Red Cross and the Muffs uh, in Spain um, again, probably about eight years ago, maybe. Um, yeah, it's very sad um, about that, about Kim passing away. But um, yeah, that was we did. It. We were on the bus and had a fantastic time. Wonderful band and and. You know, Red Cross are old friends. We we had Red Cross uh, support us when we did Crank in Australia. We flew them out to tour with us then. Um, that was the first time they'd been to Australia. And um, we are huge fans of theirs. That's a dream yeah. gig for me right there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Muffs and Red Cross and us. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was great. Um, and in Spain as well. That even makes it better. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> So um, do you have any memories of uh, touring and, uh, specifically with Kim and how she was to hang around with? Uh, no, only on the fact that they were just absolutely wonderful people, um, just lovely. And, you know, it, you know, we, we were past the stage of being, you know, 
you know, rioting in the bus sort of thing, you know, getting wildly drunk and all those sorts of things. We're much more, you know, sensible people at this point in our lives. <laughs> but it was just gorgeous, you know, just really nice people and, and you know, great music, obviously. That's the, the first thing that you, that you, you really get off on is, that, is just their music and who they are, you know, as, as, as creators. And then to see them as nice people as well is just a bonus. And um, no, that's all I could say, really. Um, you know, it was a bit too short an experience, um, I'll say that. Um, you know, it was only a couple, you know, a couple of weeks, but, um, you know, it was wonderful memories to have. So Ronnie Barnett, the bass player for the Muffs, is kind of yes. a mentor for us. He's been on the show several times. And we actually had a call with him last week before, when we found out that we were going to have the opportunity to talk to you. And we knew that he had spent some time with you. So Ryan and I gave Ronnie a call and we're like, Ronnie, we're going to talk to Dave Faulkner of Hoodoo Gurus. And he's like, first thing I want to tell you, he's the greatest guy you'll ever know. Just relax. I know you guys are super excited. <laughs> he's <a> good guy. <laughs> Am I right, Soraya? Absolutely. Well, he's, and he's a magician. That's the other thing about him. That's great. Yeah. Um, and he got us into the Magic Castle because uh, you have to know someone that's, you know, a, a proper musician to do it. And he's a member of that Magic Castle. So that was wonderful. So yeah. I wanted to ask, are you a big Magic fan? Because that's a really special place. It is. I, I love the Magic Castle. I actually first went there before we met Ronnie a long time ago. A friend of mine um, worked in school performance tours over in Australia. She booked different acts to go and entertain kids, you know, to give them a, a theatrical experience or something to kind of, you know, you know, break up their, their mundane school lives. You know, they have this little entertainment thing that goes through. And she, through that, uh, that job, she met this wonderful old magician who, um, and I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but he's a very old and a, stab, a famous magician. In fact, he invented the sawing a woman in half with a circular saw act. Wow. So he's the one that he's, 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 he's and he is a, he is like what considered to be one of the legends of magic, you know, like, sort of up there with Houdini and, and, and Carter, you know? Um, so, uh, but, but he's Australian and, and, you know, but he obviously played, did a lot of um, performing in America as, as well. And, you know, we're talking about the early 20th century now, obviously. Um, and he was still alive. He was quite an old man, but you know, he, he'd done some shows for her. This is, I'm talking about now the late eighties, early nineties, like probably 89 or 90. And um, yes. So, he got us an invite to the magic castle, you know, or, you know, got us in the door, so to speak. And that was my first time there. And it was, it was mind blowing. Wow. And, and then Ronnie, of course, got us in the next time. So, um, but I, yes, I love magic. Um, when I, if I go to Vegas, I have no interest in playing the slots or anything like that. But if there's any magic on there, I'll make sure I go see that. And I, I there was a one time I went where I was really, um, in fact, with the same friend and cause she loves magic as well. And uh, we went to like a very down market casino. Basically, every every sort of drive-in motel there has a casino. Really. <laughs> it's just like, you know, a showroom, which is, you know. And uh, there was this magic show on there. And what it was was a whole collection of different magicians from around the world. And they'd somehow tried to organize themselves to create a show at which they wanted to present to the powers that be in Vegas to, to show them, you know, a show they could put on in a bigger room. And the thing that blew my mind is the first time I've ever seen a freak in real life. Cause I'm a big fan of Todd Browning's freaks. You know, anyone that likes the Ramones first album will, or, you know, second album, um, knows that song, uh, you know, uh, we're a happy family. Gabba Gabba, we accept you. We accept you one of us. And that famous scene with all the freaks in it, uh, in that movie. Well, there was one of those freaks that, that, that you know, there's a guy in that movie that has basically no tour, nothing below his torso. He's just a pair of, uh, well, the person in this magic show was the same uh, kind of, uh, you know, I shouldn't say freak. I mean, you know, this person had that strange deformity where they obviously had some kind of, you know, shrunken lower half or something, you know, vestigial legs maybe, but you couldn't see anything. It's literally like they, they just stopped at the waist as a posse. And so he was wearing, um, uh, you know, black tie, so bow tie and, and a, you know, coat. And so there's some, there's some sort of switcheroo with an able-bodied person and this person, and they did the chopping in half act, except he was the one that was left after the chop in half. And then he started running around the room, 
on going from table to table just with on his hands wow. with no body wow. and people were screaming and, and running for the exits because it was so frightening to them because this wasn't a, a digital effect on television this was real wow <laughs> and how could this exist <laughs> wow and so and I, I, that blew my mind i was so excited to see that to see a real a real uh, in, you know evocation of that movie from the 1930s in in, in on real life wow Sorry, that's my magic story. But I, but I, I love magic. You know, close-up magic's my favourite. Uh, you know, that's just, that's my favourite. I, I had a big birthday party when I turned 40 and I had magicians there and, and had, a mag had a close-up magician there as well. Wow. That's my favourite thing. Very cool. Well, we're Soraya, we're learning a little bit more about Dave Faulkner here. In a... Well, <laughs> I, I want to, you know, it seems like an unnatural transition, but I have to ask. Okay, so now we know about the magic, and I'm super excited <laughs> about that. Uh, and that show in Vegas sounds <laughs> sounds absolutely like bone chilling to see someone running around after being being uh, sawn in half. Sawn in half. <laughs> um, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask something because I thought it was so interesting that you talked about kind of where things are moving currently for the gurus and a power pop sound. But I want to talk about the victims. Yes. And I want to talk about how, you know, how do you, how does the victims get started with Dave Faulkner in it? How, how, uh, how does this genesis happen? Well, firstly, um, you know, we obviously, I grew up listening to, you know, pop music in the 60s. I'm, a, I'm you know, because as I say, I, I was born in 1957, uh, late 1957. So um, 60s. You know, my brother was eight years older than I, and he'd bring home those, those cool singles, you know, Stones, Satisfaction. I remember, you know, when, when he brought that home, the first time I ever heard that song, you know. So it was a brand new song for me one day, you know. It wasn't like an old chestnut like it is for everyone else. Um, and that was exciting. Then, you know, as I got older, you know, and I got discovered my own sort of tastes in music, and, you know, you can become a teenager. And, you, you, and for me, the music was glam rock and, and heavy rock. So, um, you know, you set Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and, and also Susie Quattro and, and you know, T-Rex and stuff like that. And we, we didn't sort of really discriminate. It was all just rock and roll to us. We didn't sort of like say that's, you know, those two don't belong with each other, with each other you know, but they were quite different really. Um, so when punk rock came along, I was just, you know, turning uh, 17 probably. And um, then, you know, seven, just yeah, about to turn 18. And we were reading about the scene in New York in the end of 1975. Um, and, uh, you know, CBGBs and there's this band called the Ramones and how they played buzzsaw guitars. And it all sounded very exciting, but we couldn't hear it. We could only read about it. This is in the music papers from the UK, which is what we used to read, you know, because there was no internet in those days. So you, you, know, you go to the cool record stores and buy these cool music newspapers and hear about what was happening in music elsewhere in the world. And you'd, you'd order the, the records in, it takes six to eight weeks to come in on the ship, you know, from, from UK or the US. So um, that was how we, you know, followed our passion for music and, and uh, reading about this, this band, the Ramones sounded really exciting and the CBGBs. And then, the, then this album came out in 76, early 76, called, uh, called Live at CBGBs. It was a double album. And it wasn't really what, the, didn't sound like the music that they were describing. You know, the Ramones weren't on it. Uh, Talking Heads weren't on it. You know, none of the bands, Blondie. But, you know, had bands like The Shirts and they had Robert Gordon's band, The Tough Darts and things like that. So we're kind of like, going, well, you know, it sounds cool, but it's not, it doesn't, is this punk rock? We didn't know, you know, and, and, um, and it wasn't until the Ramones um, came out at the end of 76 that we really kind of, you know, got to hear what we've been reading about. And that was kind of like, at first to me, it was kind of shocking um, because 
it was, yes, it was all that aggressive sort of guitar sound, but the melodies were so poppy and the, and the lyrics were so fun. You know, it's kind of like that, that cartoon lyric and, you know, it wasn't violent at all, really. Beat on the bat with the baseball bat was funny more than, than threatening. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I was kind of expecting something more violent, I think, was the way it was being written about. So and it wasn't until I heard the Sex Pistols, I, I kind of think, oh, that's sort of what I was expecting, really. This kind of aggro uh, angriness, you know, and the Ramones was so, but, but of course, you know, after about two or three lessons, I completely, uh, you know, got the Ramones, you know, as I say, I was, I was a bit taken back by the, the way they're so much like the Beach Boys, you know, and the melodies. Mm. Um, but of course that's perfect. I mean, that's actually even better that they are like that. Not, you know, it wasn't a, a fault. It was just that I wasn't quite, you know, I was taken aback. So um, the Ramones are still my favorite of all that era um, and, and worship them to this day. Um, but we sort of formed our own little group and I played keyboards in that, that those days. I wasn't a guitarist yet. So I, I rehearsed a few times. It was a, a band called the Cheap Nasties and that was in 1976. And then I quit actually because we, it's a long story, so I won't bother uh, going. But the, the, the quick version is we played the Ramones album at a party full of these sort of what we call trendy people. I guess you'd say yuppies now or whatever. Um, and, and they, you know, pot smoking, you know, kind of theatrical types and we thought they'd hate the Ramones because you know it's so in your face and and they were playing the Rocky Horror Show was their favorite album so we thought they'll hate this but instead they liked it so I was so you know, I was a bit drunk I said well I quit you know the Ramones and if these, if these people don't like this music then I don't you know I, I mean I don't want to play it you know <laughs> it was you know because I was full of the you know the passion of you know we're going to change the world with this music and then seeing these people suddenly embracing it kind of chatted me anyway <laughs> so anyway i quit and i ended up joining a blues group for a while but i at the same time you know after i sobered up um i decided to um teach myself guitar because i wanted to be in a punk rock band so that's what i spent the next you know eight months doing was learning guitar teaching myself guitar and uh, and then as it happened the, the cheap nazis finally got a real gig and that was in 77 and uh it's advertised as a punk rock show which there'd never been anything like that in Perth before where we grew up in Western Australia. And um, so anyone that liked this music from anywhere in the city suddenly went, well, there's punk rock on, we've got to go see this, whatever it is, you know, is it good or bad? We'll get sort of see what it is. Um, and they went along and, you know, that's where I met James Baker. Huh? Uh, and that very night he said, let's form a group. And that's became the victims. And, you know, we became one of the probably more famous bands out of Perth in that, in that era. But that was sort of how that happened. And so the victims uh, ended up, you know, playing a bunch of shows and recording a single on EP. And it probably lasted about maybe about 10 months, I guess. Um, and then, uh, yeah, long story, I, I, I got a job to try and save money because I wanted to travel to see all the bands that I hadn't had a chance to see. So I, I, um, 1979, I was just, to, I, I was 21. I hadn't turned 22 yet. And I went to the UK and then went to the U S and I spent nearly eight months in the U S in 1979. And most of that time in New York city and, uh, saw the cramps and, and, uh, saw the flesh tones and I saw the B-52s and sort of talking heads doing fear of music at a unannounced show at Irving Plaza. And I mean, it was just, you know, seeing all these, the DBs, the Zantes, all these amazing bands, you know, that was such a fertile time. And, and that really cemented everything I'd been already been thinking about music, but it opened, you know, uh, punk was kind of like, I caught, thought, thought of it like a crucible. It kind of purified music down to its essence. And then I was ready to completely explode outwards into, into new influences and, and to, in a way, abandon all that blinkered attitude of punk, which is, you know, you must be like this and, you know, almost like being in the army, you know, where it's, you know, it's a, very rigid kind of, you know, uh, set of rules almost. It felt like that by the end, uh, instead of, you know, being uninhibited and just doing what you like. Um, and, so, you know, and then I was listening to music I hadn't really heard before, such as rockabilly and things like that. I, you know, I'd never been open to that. And so I was opening up my ears to all this different music, the New Orleans stuff, Professor Longhair, things like that. So it was a complete, you know, for me, it was my psychedelic revolution, if you like. You know, the Summer of Love for me was, was 1979. <laughs> Wow, that is incredible. So what a way to get started in music, right? So I appreciate that you've taken time to go all the way back to the very, very early days. Of <laughs> Dave Faulkner. 
And again, for our listeners, and the new song, Hung Out to Dry, is amazing. If you guys haven't heard it, I know a lot of our listeners have. Because we sent out a pre-notice that we were going to talk to you, and everybody flipped out. They're so excited. Um, one guy said he just got through listening to a stack of Hoodoo Guru's records. He said right when he saw our post that announced that you were coming on. So, uh, so it, was, it was meant to be. It was meant to be. So. <laughs> now, well, please, I do urge people, please... Spread that video around. I'd love it to actually get to that, you know, Donald Trump's uh, office. I'd love him to see it and to get insulted because uh, I put something special in there just for him. There's a, there's a card where I put up, um, I'm singing the lyric, I'm saying, uh, glue your hair down one last time. Uh, and so I, I, but, uh, I hold up the card saying, bad hair day every day, <laughs> which if, if he sees that, he will hate me. <laughs> And there's also another line in there as well. Um, el, el, uh, sorry, um, hasta luego, cabrón. And that's for our, that's for our, Mex, that's for our Mexican friends. And anyway, I, I even have the Mexican flag colors through the writing because, you know, it's, you know, it's horrible what he's, 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 how he's been uh, abusing Mexico all these years. And so I thought, let's uh, you know, give him a bit of a Mexican, uh, re, you know, return of fire out serve. I love that. That's so punk rock. <laughs> See, you can never get rid of the the punk rock in your. Oh my gosh! Um, so uh, just uh, just a quick uh, check in. So for our listeners, the video is on YouTube, uh, definitely available. But is there another place where people can get uh, up to date information about the gurus? Uh, web page, social media, anything? Yeah, uh, and sadly, well, uh, we do have an Instagram. I mean, that's more, I, I mean, I run both these pages. The, the Huda Guru's Facebook page, Huda Guru's official, uh, Instagram, Huda Guru's underscore official. Um, and that's more, I just, you know, put up old band photos and just weird things and even things that influenced us, you know, just kind of, it's kind of more, in a sense, like gossipy inside, you know, just like, you know, and the Facebook page is kind of more official in the sense it'll, you know, tell you what new release. And I, I do put official news in another one as well, but it's more about, you know, I don't know what's going on and, you know, gigs and stuff like that. So the, the two together are good, they're, but they're not quite the same thing. Okay. Um, we don't do any tweeting. I, I, I mean, my first, whenever I post on Facebook, there is a Twitter, that go, a tweet that goes out of the first however many characters, but I don't actually write it as a tweet. Okay. So if you, my, it's, that's Faulkner69 as my Twitter handle, but I never actually tweet, tweet anything personally. Only when I post on Facebook, it just goes out as a tweet at first. Perfect. Uh, and that's about it. So um, yes, and of course, we're on all the streaming platforms these days. Um, if there's uh, um, oversights where some albums aren't there, we're trying to fix it up, but we, it's hard for us to exactly know who's got what at this point, because we're only stuck in Australia. And not going anywhere right now, but we hope to change that. <laughs> Very good. Well, we really appreciate you taking time, Dave, to talk to us, and we're really excited about what's in the future for Huda Gurus. And uh, uh, thank you. And look out for um, Dicky and John on our next single. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be fantastic. Again, it is good. Uh, Hung Out to Dry, Answered Prayers album, hopefully coming soon, and tours. Look out for that tour. But David Faulkner, thank you so, so much for coming on and for sharing with our listeners today. I mean, smile is not going to leave my face for a while. Oh, cheers. Thank you so much for having me and uh, enjoy the rest of your Friday. <laughs> and I look forward to it. Saturday's looking good too, I'm telling you. All You'll right. get there soon. Thank you for the forecast. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. What did you think about that, Soraya? That is one cool cat. That is one cool dude. Yeah. Um, really interesting to see, you know, you and I have talked about it a lot, especially with these Pace in the Underground bands. This really encouraging and supportive community that they formed you know with one another and you know yeah people can tell us oh, you know you guys focus on this really kind of niche moment in time but i find it so interesting the bridges and the connections and you know of how they're supportive and look at it. I mean, you know, what, 2020 or 2021, he's got this, you know, there's this new album and Vicki Peterson and, and uh, John Kelsey are on it. You know, it's just really cool to see or like to see how much of a music fan he is 
and to know like when he was talking about dig it up the the festival and he goes we we only had bands that we loved you know and you know steve Wynn is you know muffs red crop what yeah i found that amazing you know it really spans this musical panorama i what a, what a cool guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love the connections. It's so, so cool. And the, and the excitement that he has to still be working with some of these people after so long and the excitement that he has for making and releasing music. You know, it's, it's just so encouraging. And at a time like the one that we're living in, that to hear that excitement about new projects, and wanting to get back into the studio and get, you know, things moving. It's encouraging, you know, we miss being at live shows as a fan and, you know, to hear him say, we're ready. We want to get back in. We've got, you know, and material is coming and we're, we've got things brewing. I love hearing that. Yes. It's just, too. it's something to look forward to and something to just hold on to, you know? And, uh, but I love the fact that he goes, you know, well, you know, uh, not so much a rock album now, it's power pop, and I'm all, okay. I don't know if I'd ever, if if I have used the words hoodoo gurus and power pop together, but I like that evolution, mm -hmm. you know? Different things inspire different moments in time for the band. I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't willing, wait to hear it. They're willing to listen. And I loved how he talked about that once he heard punk music, like he said, okay, he brought everything down to like its essence. And then I was ready to just like blow it up. Yep. Loved that. And I'm a, that's a cool dude. Yep. Yeah. And you can hear it in the music too. I, you can hear that it's, it's an evolution from punk, hence post-punk or right. Or college rock or what have you. So. I mean, that's that's just pretty dang cool pretty dang cool yeah absolutely that was that was a fun discussion uh, you know i'm really really glad that we got a chance to talk to him same yeah, yeah. great dude a smile on my face yep and ronnie wasn't wrong oh no ronnie was 100 percent correct yes absolutely jeff all right. Well, I think we should uh, call it for a day and uh, get ready to uh, go spread that video a little bit. <laughs> Maybe we can get it to the right person, the intended, the intended person. All right. Well, uh, then um, let's get to Sharon and uh, gente. Agaruya. Groove on, Paisley people. Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. Oi, oi, oi. Your money belt 